The New Testament lesson for today is from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. This can be found on page 1190 of your Pew Bible. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of the unchangeable trustworthiness of God by recalling his promise to Abraham. God's promises are guaranteed by his own perfect character, and his word is always true. A reading from Hebrews chapter 6, beginning with the 13th verse. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. On any given day of the week, if you were to listen in on my household, you would probably hear the soundtrack to the Broadway musical Hamilton. My children play this every day, pretty much. I think they know every lyric, every word. If you're unfamiliar with this musical, it's the story of our founding father, Alexander Hamilton, and all that took place during his tenure. And as compelling and interesting as the story of Hamilton is, there's another figure in that story that I find even more interesting. I'm getting to know these characters as I listen to the songs all the time in my house. And that is not so much Hamilton, but Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr, the sitting vice president who shot and killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel. Spoiler alert, sorry if you haven't seen the musical. That's what happens in the end. I'm really curious about this man, Aaron Burr. What would lead a man to be driven to such impassioned violence against his political opponent? Now, I wasn't there in history, but according to the musical, uh, the writer of the musical, Aaron Burr, seemed to be driven by some kind of envy towards his opponent, Alexander Hamilton. There's a song, maybe you know it, those of you who know the musical, it goes, I want to be in the room where it happens. You know the song? I want to be in the room where it happens. And he gets more and more impassioned until I've got to be in the room where it happens. And he just wants to be in that place where his opponent, Hamilton, seems to be, this room where it happens, this room where decisions are made, this room where authority rests, this room where power lies. And Aaron Burr doesn't seem to be invited into that room, doesn't have a seat at the table, so he becomes more and more enraged and more and more envious to the point where it leads him to taking out Hamilton in a duel. I've been wondering about this Aaron Burr figure because I wonder if there's something in all of us that's similar, that we just want to be 
in the room where it happens. We want to have access to more power. Even some of the most powerful people I know have opinions about rooms where there's more authority than what they have. What is that about us? Is it that we, we want to be in control? I think that might be what it's about. Especially in a time in our culture like we're in right now where everything seems out of control. The year and a half that we've had, we all felt like the rug got pulled out from underneath us. We're grasping for control and we might have opinions about people who do have the power. We'd rather be in the room where it happens. Maybe, too, we want to know if there really is a source of truth coming from someplace, because that seems to be in question in our culture as well. Well, in today's scripture, in Hebrews chapter 6, the author of Hebrews tells us this amazing truth that we have access to the highest power, to the highest office of authority if we have Jesus Christ. And we have access to capital T, truth. And when we realize that, when we know that, it changes lots of things in our lives. It has tremendous implications for us and for our culture. So let's look at the scripture today to learn more about it. You may be wondering why we're suddenly in the New Testament when we're going through the Old Testament. Well, all these months that we're going to be going through the Old Testament, the last Sunday of each month, we're going to come up for air and read something from the New Testament that speaks to the Old Testament narrative, although this New Testament paragraph is just as dense as anything in the Old Testament. But this New Testament uh, paragraph from Hebrews speaks to the Abraham story, which we're going through from the Old Testament. Let's look at it together. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, beginning there. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear... He swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. I find this almost funny. It's almost comical. Have you ever heard people say, like maybe on the playground when you were little, they would say, I swear on my mother's grave. You know, (laughs) they would appeal to some higher authority than themselves. I love my mom and, you know, I just want to honor her. So I swear on my mother's grave, whatever that means. Or you hear people say, I swear to God. You know, they're appealing to a higher authority that their word is true. I love this. The author of Hebrews says, when God makes a promise, there's no one higher to swear by. God swears by himself. What the author is showing us here is that we have reached the highest point on the food chain when we go to God. The highest authority. There is no higher room where it happens if you're in the presence of God. So welcome to the top when we go to God. When God makes a promise... He is speaking with ultimate, absolute authority. I love what it says earlier in Hebrews, what the author of Hebrews tells us about Jesus. I put this quote on the front of your program. This is an amazing statement. It says, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. In other words, in the entire universe. There is no higher authority than the word of God. That's amazing. And this is important for us to remember because in our culture, we're in a moment in history right now where truth itself is being questioned. We're in what philosophers would call post-modernity. In post-modernity and post-modernism, there is no absolute, there is no universal truth. 
There's just your truth and my truth. And that sounds really nice when you first hear it. We can all just get along. Until your truth contradicts with my truth. And then we have a problem. Then we might have a a duel on our hands, like Burr and Hamilton were led to. So where can we turn then? Where can we run for absolute truth in a cultural moment like we're in right now? Well, we go to God. We go to the highest office in the whole universe. Listen to this language beginning in verse 17, the way the author of Hebrews is showing us the, the, the sureness, the certainty of the words of God. Verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly, more convincingly, things are, people are trying to convince each other of their truth, right? When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, that's his oath and his promise, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. See this language the author of Hebrews is using? More convincingly than all of the lowercase t truth claims out in our world today. God guaranteed what he's saying. And it is impossible for God to lie with this oath and this promise. I think maybe the author of Hebrews was living in a cultural moment like the one we're living in right now, where the author was saying, there is no more certain thing, there is no more true thing than the words of God. And look at this phrase with me near the end of verse 18. It's very instructive. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement. We who have fled for refuge. You know, when we're living in the cultural moment that we're living in, it can feel like we're out on on a chaotic, raging sea. Doesn't our world kind of feel like that right now? There's just chaos and questioning truth and different variations of truth that contradict with one another and who's really in charge around here. And, And yet we flee for refuge. This is an interesting phrase. Of course we do. In the raging sea, we flee for refuge. We're looking for sure things. We're looking for security. We're looking for safety when the rug gets pulled out from under our feet like it has over the last year and a half. We're trying to grab onto anything that appears certain. And so there's voices that are emerging in our culture. And I'm noticing the voices with the most strident tones, with their version of truth. Those are the ones that where the ratings are going up. Have you noticed that? The talking heads the ones that speak with the most stridency, pounding their fists and speaking with sureness of the way they view the world. People are flocking to them. Why? Because we flee for refuge in these chaotic cultural moments like ships on a raging sea. We're looking for the safe harbor. We're looking for sureness. And we find some security. We find some hope when people are speaking with certainty about their version of things. And I'll just be honest with you, as a As a preacher, as a person whose job it is to stand up and speak, I sometimes feel the temptation to get really strident and animated and flail my arms around and speak with such certainty. Maybe my ratings would go up if I did that too, (laughs) you know? Because I see people flocking to those voices. So why don't I do that? I could. I know how. I was in theater for some years. I I could do the whole thing. 
Why don't I? Why do we stand here week after week and just preach the word? Because of what it says in verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. This image of an anchor appears in the midst of the chaotic waters, the swirling chaos of post-modernity that we're all navigating right now. Suddenly our storms, our, our ships amidst the raging storms, we have an anchor. We have an anchor that holds fast. Can you picture it? Can you see it? And when we flee for refuge and we try to grab onto these voices of certainty and culture that only lead to more trouble and more division, God says, I'm holding you. I am the anchor that holds you. In a few moments after communion, we're going to sing a song, He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. We have an anchor. We sang that earlier. We have an anchor. We don't need to grab on to these voices in our culture on either side because we have an anchor. And what is the anchor? A hope. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. I have to explain this. It's so important. I've just presented this case that we have this sure and steadfast anchor. What is it? It's a hope that we can pass through the curtain what's going on here, especially for those of you who might be new Christians. I should explain what the author of Hebrews is pointing towards because it is our sure and steadfast anchor. We need to understand what this is. I put this image on the front of your program and we'll put it on the wall behind me. This is an artist depiction of the curtain in the temple being torn in two. This happened at the moment of Jesus' death. In the temple, before Jesus came, there was a series of chambers in the temple culminating in the, something called the Holy of Holies. Talk about the room where it happens. Talk about the place where the authority of the universe rests. God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies, and there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the outer chambers. And no one could enter that room except for one priest one time a year could enter into the presence of God in that way. And when Jesus died on the cross, Scripture tells us that that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. In other words, the, 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 the access to the very presence of the authority of the whole universe, God himself was unleashed out into the outer chambers and out into the world. Why? Because the very thing that separates us from God, which is our sin, it was dealt with on the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He took the sins of the world upon himself, therefore removing the thing that separates us, the barrier between us and God. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. In other words, we now have access to God, to the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. We don't have to be envious of someone else with a higher authority. We don't have to be driven by that envy like Aaron Burr was because guess what? We have access to it. Anywhere the Holy Spirit is, we have access to the highest authority in the entire universe. Isn't that amazing? We have an anchor because we have access to God because of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. That makes us secure.
I learned something this week about Aaron Burr, this man who grabbed the pistol of political power to take out his opponent. It didn't end well for him. His life was pretty miserable after that. History doesn't really look too kindly on him. You know that phrase from Hamilton, history has its eyes on you. I learned something about Aaron Burr. He was the grandson of the great Jonathan Edwards. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Pastor David's dad's visiting from Florida. He's a historian like his son. And we were talking about Aaron Burr, and he said, you know, Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher of the Great Awakening, preached at this church, Stanwich, and he was the grandfather of Aaron Burr. And I was really thinking about that ever since Reverend Borden taught me that. Jonathan Edwards, if you don't know, he was a preacher in the Great Awakening right here in this region of the country where many souls came to Christ. The the movement of the Holy Spirit swept across this land like a breeze, and it opened up people's hearts and minds and lives to the revelatory power of God. Lives were changed. History was changed. Jonathan Edwards understood that we have access to the highest authority in the universe, that the temple has been torn in two, that the Holy Spirit is unleashed on all people who claim him. What it says in Scripture as well, that we, have, um, we can do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine because of the power at work within us. Jonathan Edwards understood that and he preached that. He preached repentance and he preached revival and the Holy Spirit came and it changed history. I look back on his example compared to the example of someone like Aaron Burr and I think to myself, I want to be like one of those guys. If history has its eyes on us, who are we going to be like? Like Aaron Burr, grabbing the pistol of political power, trying to beat our opponents? Or like Jonathan Edwards, who understood the power of God is accessible to all who call on the name of Jesus? I want to be like Jonathan Edwards. There's one more phrase in the scripture that we'll close with. Verse 20, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There's a lot to explain with the order of Melchizedek. So (laughs) those of you who are in life groups, learn about it in life group this week. Talk with your life group leader. Open up some commentaries. I don't have time today to explain Melchizedek but there's one image that the scriptures tell us about Melchizedek that I want us to leave with. Melchizedek was this king and priest who came and blessed Abraham. After Abraham had won a victory, Melchizedek appears very briefly, and he blesses Abraham. And Melchizedek is holding two things in his hands. Bread and wine. Way back in the Old Testament, we get this image, we get this picture embedded in this story of Jesus. We celebrate Jesus' death through the bread and the unfermented juice of communion every week. And I love the fact that the Holy Spirit gives us this order of Melchizedek detail in this story because it reminds us of what it cost Jesus to give us access to God, 
to give us access to the highest authority of the entire universe. It cost him his life. And we're going to celebrate that at the Lord's table in just a moment of what he's done for us. And we receive that, just like we receive the elements into our body, we receive his grace, his gracious gift into our lives. Because we need that anchor for our souls. The world's not getting any less chaotic. But our anchor holds fast. Amen.